I don't know about you guys, but I needed to begin my semester. I needed to begin tonight with, with worship in praise of a Savior that, that is better than anything that I deserve. And so thank you guys for that. I, I noticed as I was standing, I always stand up here in the front to catch people coming in late. Somebody came by and closed the doors. So we were making enough noise that somebody, that somebody came by and felt the need to close the doors. And for that, I'm thankful. Because as I look around the room, I'm grateful to get to worship with you guys. I'm grateful to be able to pour out my heart to the Lord with you guys. And so I see a ton of familiar faces. I'm thankful to see you. I see new faces. My name's JD. I'm the Crosstalk Pastor here at, with Cypress Creek Church. And we are so thankful that you guys are here. If you guys are new, I would love to meet you. Please don't run out before I get a chance to, to give you some nucks or something like that. I, I, we are so grateful that we get the chance to do what we do here. We are so thankful that we get the chance to preach the gospel here on Texas State's campus and that we have access to this place. And so we look forward, I look forward to a semester of doing life with you guys. And that's simply what this is, is a community of people, a community of believers who just want to stand side by side with you and walk through life. Walk through the good things, the exciting things, the hard things, and the things that we question, the things that we doubt, the things that we don't understand that happen in life. And that, and my prayer is that crosstalk, that this place, these people would be a safe place for you guys to do that. That it would be a safe place for you guys to come as you are without a need to change or to fit a mold or to say the right things and to, and to walk through life with one another. And we're going to be studying uh, the book of Luke for the majority of the semester. And it's something that I'm super excited about. One, Luke is my favorite gospel to read out of. But secondarily, there's a really simple answer. And that's because the book of Luke is all about Jesus. And we as crosstalk, we as followers of Jesus, need to be all about him. With everything that's going on in our world, in a world that is ever more tumultuous, with so many uncertainties and ever-changing pieces, I think that, that, that ministries and churches feel this undue pressure that they have to teach to the perfect current event. That everything that we talk about in community groups and from the stage has to be perfectly tailored to the worldview situation that's going on right now. And I think that in doing that, what it does is it feels like it's this very constraining or restrictive thing. And, and speaking to the current events, being in the world and, and talking about a biblical worldview in the, in the world is a really good and it's a very necessary thing. We need to be people who do that. And we should be thinking critically about what it means to be in the world, but not of the world. But sometimes the right answer is just opening up God's word and allowing the truth of it to speak into our life. Because I know, and what the Bible tells us is true, is that God's word never comes back void. And so there, the pressure is now off because we don't have to have the right scripture. We don't have to have the right passage. We don't have to have the perfectly crafted sermon or the Bible study, because we know that when we open God's word and we surrender ourselves to what it says, that God is gonna use it, that God is gonna work in it, and that God's gonna work through it and it's always going to be relevant to our lives. The Bible, no matter where we turn and no matter kind of how we approach it, it's always relevant to what we're going through. And so what we're going to do this semester is we're just going to open up 
God's word to the book of Luke and allow the book of Luke to enter into our lives and to change us by talking about Jesus's birth, Jesus's life, his ministry, his death and his resurrection and allowing God the freedom to use that to speak into our life. And really, that's just what we're gonna do this spring. We're not gonna make it any more complicated than it is. We're just gonna open God's word and say, what do you have for us today? And so that's what I'm excited to get to do with you guys right now, but it's also what's gonna be happening in your community groups. So between, over the course of the semester, between crosstalk and community groups, we will walk through the entirety of the book of Luke. And in walking through the book of Luke, we're gonna hit stuff from every chapter, and we'll get, it gives us a really full picture of who Jesus was and what he came to do here on earth. And we do that because we want the gospel to be central to who we are. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ will always lead us into the truth of how we're to respond in today's current age. And before we hop into our scripture for today, it's important for us to, to place the book of Luke in, in the greater narrative storyline of the Bible. We see Luke is one of the four gospels that are placed right at the beginning of the New Testament. And they tell the story of Jesus's life. And in that, each of these gospel authors have, have a different perspective. They have a different way of telling the story of Jesus's life because they're writing to different people. And it meant so that when, it was meant so that when they were all read as a whole, when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when we read them as a whole, we get this very full picture of who Jesus was and what he came to do here on earth. And each of these gospel accounts have a different agenda because of the different audience that they were writing to. So Matthew, he starts with a genealogy. We talked about that before Christmas. And Matthew starts with that genealogy because he wants to root Jesus in history. And he writes to a Jewish crowd and the story of Jesus is then rooted in history so that they can see God's work all throughout human history. And then we look to the book of Mark and Mark doesn't even tell us about Jesus's birth. It doesn't tell us about his early life. It starts right at the ministry when Jesus goes into ministry. And that's because the gospel of Mark is all about repentance. That's Mark's focus in his gospel writing. And then you go to the gospel of John and the gospel of John starts in a dramatically different way. Instead of starting with the genealogy or starting with Jesus and his ministry, he starts with this preamble. And in this preamble, it tells us what God's intention was with Jesus. Because he wants to go back and say, this is what you're about to experience. He front loads his gospel account so that you can't escape that first chapter of the book of John without understanding God's purpose in Jesus Christ. And those of us who, who love like the Peanuts Christmas and everything like that, we're drawn to the book of Luke. Because the book of Luke gives us the narrative of the birth in a manger in Bethlehem, right? Of the Magi and the shepherds and all of the stuff that we love around the Christmas season. And Luke starts with Jesus's birth to show how God became incarnate in Jesus Christ, that he, how he came and dwelled in this child in Bethlehem. The Christmas story shows that Jesus, Jesus enters into history through supernatural means. And he is therefore God's son in some very mysterious but very real fashion, right? It's not like this honorific attribution, like a title like an emperor or something like that. And it's not this adoption 
as God's son, but in what he does in the infancy narrative is he shows us that this truly is the son of God. And that becomes the foundation on so much of what we believe is built, right? During quarantine and most of the months of, of March and of April, I spent my time uh, building four cabins in the middle of the woods. That was kind of my project. And they're these super cool old school wilderness cabins. They look like birdhouses. So they got the, like, the walls that come out kind of sideways. And it's really, really cool. And as we started on this project and I started to do this, we realized that, there, that there's one important part that we got right. And so we spent all of this time assembling and measuring out, making sure that things were flush and that the measurements were right, the floors. Because we knew if we got the floors right, then we can kind of make everything else work. But if the floors and the foundation were wrong, it was we basically had to scrap the project from the start. And so we spent all of this time and effort and energy into the floors. And we got to the end and I walked, I walked into these cabins and there was absolutely nothing special about it. It was the most unremarkable floor you have ever walked on in your life. But the fact that it was unremarkable meant that it was solid, that it was the foundation that supported the rest of the structure. And so when we turn to the book of Luke, we see this infancy narrative of Jesus being born as a child. And that's that same foundation. That's the foundation on which everything else is built because Luke wants to say right there in the birth, this is it. Don't miss it. Don't be distracted. Don't go off to anything else. This is it right here. You need to get this before you move on to anything else. And so we see there in the infancy narrative that Jesus is truly the son of God. And Luke's strategy, and we'll see this play out over the course of this semester, is to re-narrate the story of Israel in such a way that we are able to see Jesus and the church and recognize them as God's divine plan for salvation for all time. And it starts right here in the early life of Jesus. The first two chapters of the book of Luke make up what we would call the prelude to the book. And they deal directly with the childhood of Jesus. And the passage we're going to be studying today is the concluding part of that childhood narrative. And we're coming out of the Christmas season. And, and we all heard, whether it was too many times or just enough times or maybe just the once, that, that birth story, right? Of, of him being born in a major in Bethlehem and the census and all of that. And so today we're going to turn our attention to the only story we have in the Bible of Jesus' adolescence, of a, of a time in his life when he was 12 years old. And there's this very instrumental moment in his life that means a whole lot to us. Because this is the first time that Jesus speaks in the Gospel of Luke. And it's critical for us to understand this because it gives us a glimpse into how Jesus views himself and his mission here on earth. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 41. If you guys want to flip there with me, or it's going to be on the screen behind me. And it says, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. Now to understand this journey, we have to remember our Old Testament history. 
And it commanded that the Jewish people come to Jerusalem for three separate times, for three festivals, the first of which is Passover, then you have Pentecost, and then you have Tabernacles. But in light of the nation of Israel being scattered all over the known world when they were conquered, really the anyone who was a practicing Jew, someone who would have been like a committed follower of Judaism, they, they re- generally only came to Jerusalem once because they were coming from such a far distance. And so here we see that Jesus's family makes this journey on a yearly basis. Now, Passover is the major festival that's, that's celebrated at the beginning of the Jewish year. And if you guys remember, the purpose of Passover is that it recounts the miraculous deliverance of the Israelite people from the nation of Egypt, right? And then we see the Exodus account, and then they enter the promised land. And so really, what we're seeing here is that's, that's the moment when God passed over the Israelites. It's the, the last of the plagues, right? And it was sometimes called the Feast of Unleavened, Unleavened Bread. They were celebrated together. And so it turns into this, like, instead of like a two-day thing or a three-day thing, it turns into this like big week-long thing. And so Jesus' family goes up and they go to this festival. And it says, when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. I don't think I've told you this guys, you guys like kind of how I grew up. I grew up on acreage, so I grew up on land and everybody on my street had just as much land as we did. And so growing up, it was just, and they all had kids my age. And so growing up, fences didn't mean anything, right? Because we would just play and hang out and do stuff on, on every neighboring property. It was like probably 50 to 100 acres. And so there were creeks and big hardwood forests and stuff like that. And so we spent all of our time out there. And during the summer, my mom would get so tired of me and my brother that she would kick us out of the house and she would lock the door and tell us to come back, tell us when dinner was and just say, don't come back until dinner. <laughs> that, was, that was the solution. It's the greatest thing ever because we went out and we explored and did all of this stuff. But she literally used to just lock the door and kick us out and not let us back inside. And so we were forced to go out and just go explore. And so we would hit lunch and I would go out at noon and dinner was at seven. And so there was just seven hours that I was going to go wander about. And during that time, my parents had no idea where I was. I could have been doing anything with anybody. They just knew I wasn't in the house. And so for us to understand here, like this circumstance of the parents realizing that Jesus isn't there, we got to realize that when families made this pilgrimage to Jerusalem, they did it in like caravans or big groups. So you would get all of your family and then you would get all of your friends and then you guys would all make like, it's about 60-ish miles from Nazareth to Jerusalem. So they have to walk all 60 of these miles and they would do it in these groups because it was safer that way, right? Because they like any number of things could have gotten them in trouble from thieves on the road to like, inclement weather and things like that. And so it's totally reason. This is like not an example of bad parenting because it's totally reasonable that Jesus could have been with any number of people during this time, right? He could have been kicking it with just about anybody. And so they kind of get to the end of the day and they're like, hey, where is he? I have no idea. Which the crazy part is that they're a full day's walk from Jerusalem already. So now they got to sit there. They they figure out Jesus is gone. They got to walk all the way back and go find him in the city of Jerusalem. And it says, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, 
sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and answers. This is the only account that we have in the book of Luke of Jesus receiving instruction from the Jewish teachers. Usually the rest of the accounts he's rebuking. And so this this is really important for us to understand because he here is a listener. He's not teaching as some uh, some like people would want to put out there. He's learning. He's sitting and he is receiving from these teachers. And as verse 47 shows, everyone is impressed with his understanding. Now, we got to remember, this isn't Jesus at 16 or 18. This is Jesus at 12 years old. And he's impressing the Jewish teachers. And we see in this moment, in this isolated moment, that Jesus is a person gifted by God, right? What produces astonishment is the dialogue that Jesus has with his teachers. The insight of his answers is what draws their attention. And the Greek word used here means an understanding that is able to penetrate to the heart of an issue. And the term can also be rendered insight. And so in the biblical tradition, this word is never used outside of someone who is is speaking in accordance with God's will. That this is never humanly wisdom. This this word is always specifically related to divine understanding. That is somebody who is is living in in the same lane as God. And it says in verse 48, And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Is this whole story not a demonstration of Jesus' humanity? Like we're seeing here in this moment, 12-year-old Jesus in the process of growing into a young man, which all of us have gone through. We've all grown up and gone through that phase where you go from childhood to adolescence. And we see him developing this sense of autonomy and independence, like the first time that we're given the car keys and we can leave, right? And we see that independence begin to assert itself by him staying in Jerusalem. He doesn't do what his parents want him to do. In fact, he does what, he, what they don't want him to do. And this act, these actions cause his parents to be in great distress. Mary's language in this verse is the, the language of complaint, right? Like, why would you do this to me? Which, of course, they've been looking for him for three days, right? Like, if you can't find your kid for like a little bit, I'm assu- I don't have kids yet. I'm just making the assumption that if you can't find your kid for a little bit, you kind of have a like mild panic. And then as time goes on, like that level of panic only increases, right? So after three days, I can't imagine what you're thinking as a parent. Like, man, I blew it. Like, <laughs> there are not a lot of ways to screw this up. But going three days where I can't find my kid is maybe one of them. Like, <laughs> without any idea of where, where he is. But more importantly, we have to recognize Mary's question as preparing us for a very key teaching about Jesus' identity. This tees up Jesus to speak for the first time. And what's remarkable is that even his parents, despite their knowledge of his divine Holy Spirit conception, they have to come to the realization of who Jesus is. 
that he's not just someone sent from God, but he is the son of God. And so we see here in verse 49 that he says to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? This is the first time we hear Jesus speak in the book of Luke, and it's, and it's shocking. And it's shocking because we see his strong sense of identity with God in this moment. The way in which Jesus asks this question is really designed to make a statement, right? The do you not know is really there to, it's trying to produce a certain response, right? That we should already know the answer to his question. And his parents need to see Jesus as being about the work of the Father. And Jesus here is declaring the necessity of being in God's house, in his presence, and learning about him. And Jesus has a strong sense of identity with the Father in this moment and is committed to the mission that God sent him to do. And this reference here, what he says, this statement is very personal as opposed to messianic. This isn't talking about the redemption of all people for all time, but this is talking about personal identity. He here is claiming and understanding his identity as the son of God in this moment. Just like the gospel of John's portrayal, Jesus recognizes himself as sent by the father to reveal his will here on earth. Jesus is Quite frankly, he's introducing himself to us, the reader, for the very first time. And this statement is the statement that will drive the rest of the narrative of the book of Luke. Everything pushes forward in this direction as a result. Because we see here that Jesus, at 12 years old, putting out for us one of the most basic principles we hold as dear as followers of him, that he is fully man, and that he is fully God. And verse 50 said, and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. His parents don't understand his words. Well, no, duh. They're probably just upset that they had to walk all the way back to Jerusalem and spend three days looking for him. When I'm in that emotional state, I don't think clearly, let alone am I able to comprehend that someone is claiming to be the son of God in that moment. And so I think we can totally understand, given the situation, his parents' ignorance at the identity that he is claiming for himself here. And it says in verse 51, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all of these things in her heart. Children were supposed to be submissive to their parents. And because of that, this moment is is especially important because Jesus, the Son of God, is submitting to his earthly parents. He submits for another 18 years before he goes off and he does ministry. And it says in verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. This passage of scripture reveals to us Jesus' self-testimony and calls us as the reader to consider who Jesus is. 
Luke writes it in this way so that we can't escape it without dealing with and answering the question of who is Jesus. This is foundational for the rest of Luke's gospel. And that's why Luke starts here. No other gospel tells this story. But Luke does because he wants to ground Jesus's ministry in his identity. It's not about what he does, and in the end it is, but it's more important that who he is for us to understand because then all of his ministry begins to take the proper importance for us in in light of understanding who he is because he doesn't want us to be able to escape the beginning of his gospel without dealing with the identity of Jesus. And this account is one of the few pre-ministry accounts that we have of Jesus. And it serves as a foretaste of what, what is to come. Because Luke wants to set up what he is about, basically he wants to set it up as he transitions into ministry. That we can't escape this without dealing with the identity of Jesus. And in this, we see Jesus' relationship to his father and his wisdom are the very keys to understanding this passage. And as readers today, we can see that Jesus knows the reason why he has come, part of which revolves around teaching. And what is he teaching us about? He's teaching us about himself, about his own identity. And this passage continues the note of wonder that has been a part of of all of Luke 1 and 2. A sense of wonderment about a divine conception and birth into a 12-year-old claiming and understanding his identity as the Son of God. But there's also this note of confusion and pain underlying all of this. And that confusion and pain is a result of people not understanding who he is, not understanding what Jesus came to do, not understanding his mission from the Father. And that still continues today. But what's clear is that Jesus does not struggle to know either his identity or his mission in this moment. And when considered as a whole, the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke serve as evidence for us that whatever God has promised will come to pass. This passage provides not only the expectation, but the assurance considering the things to come. In Jesus, God is at work. In Jesus, God is at work. And here's the good news. We're going to spend the rest of the semester studying this, but I am going to spoil the surprise right now. Jesus died on a cross, was buried, was raised three days later, and is now seated with the Father in heaven. And that's good news. And there he is today, still calling us back to him beckoning us to understand his identity, what he came to do here on earth, doing what none of us could do for ourselves, being the perfect sacrifice for you and for me. So I don't know what you guys need today. I don't pretend to know, but it could be a reminder of Jesus's humanity. The recognition that we have a Savior who knows what it means to be human, who has been tested in every way and remained perfect. And as a result, we have a Savior who is compassionate, 
a Savior who offers us grace because he knows what it's like, because he came down and he dwelled among us. And so I would encourage you guys, if you have never experienced that grace that Jesus offers, today is a good day. Today is a good day. And maybe some of you guys have been a Christian for a long time or have walked away from your faith or are just living in, in this being, feeling like you're being pulled in two different directions with the world and with what you say you believe. And you need to be reminded of Jesus's divinity. Recognizing that we have a savior who sits on the throne, who is the Lord of our life. Because he alone is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And I would encourage you guys, as, as we all tend to do, we, we hold on to our own life so tightly. We want to control it. We want to, to force it into being what we want. We want a certain outcome, and so we try and cram it and create it and, and kind of work it into being. And that whole time we struggle and we struggle and we struggle and we struggle only to realize that we can't do it. So in light of that, I would encourage you to let it go. To release those things to God, to, to allow him control of your life, to come under his lordship and to live in the freedom that has been offered to us. And my hope is that today you can be reminded both of Jesus's humanity and Jesus's divinity. As we seek to make him known here in this place, on this campus and in this city, because we need both. We need both. And when we talk to people who don't know Jesus, they need both. They need to know that, that they have a God who understands what it's like to be like us to be pulled in two different directions, to, to struggle, to be tempted, to be tested. And they also need to know that they have a God who's bigger than all of those things. A God that can handle all of it. A God who did handle all of it. And that there's a gift being offered to them. Because what we're going to see over the course of this book of Luke, in the, of the book of Luke is that he wants to show Jesus precisely to be the Lord of Israel who passionately seeks out the poor, the downtrodden, the outsider, the sick, and the needy. And that's really good news to me because that means the width of God's love includes even me. And that is what I get to worship today.